This is a University of Pentecost podcast. Let's get started. I'm going to tell you what this dude's all about. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm going to serve God in a living and a powerful way. I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm going to talk in tongues. I'm going to give God my best. I'm not going to hide my light under a bushel basket. Because I'll tell you what, once you got the bushel basket on there, you're going to go into the fire. Don't be deceived. The tares sit with the wheat in the church. Hallelujah! The tares sit with the wheat. We can't be tearing around, tearing down God's church, tearing down God's men. God's got something to say today. I hope you like to have your soul stirred up a little bit. Instead of going to church and sleeping on a pew, not being any different the next week. Hallelujah. I want to be changed. I want to go from faith to faith. I want to come and get tanked up on God. I want to get edified by the man of God. I want to worship God in spirit and truth. I want to follow the Bible principles. And let me tell you something. God's going to find out whether I love Him or not. He's going to test me. Can you say test? Praise God. This is called training by fire. Training by fire. I'll tell you what, I'm here to preach the truth of God. I was called not of my own volition. I would rather be somewhere else. I got called down here and it's not my will, but His will be done. And that's the thing that Jesus heard in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't want to go to this cross. It's not my will. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. If God has called us to this place, let's be committed to what we're doing here. Let's get rid of this stuff, this idea that somehow we're bigger than God. I'll call myself. I'll tell myself where to go. I'll tell myself what to do. That's a self-willed spirit. And it's not from God Almighty. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. This is the hardest thing for a Christian. You will never know if you're submissive until you disagree with your authority. You're going to find out real quick whether you've got the Spirit of Jesus in you or whether you're a work in progress. And if you're like me, when you get a little bit of corn under your saddle there, you get a little grinding going on, you don't like it. You'll chafe at the bit. Anybody ever chafed at the bit? Amen. Just, just disagree with somebody and have your boss tell you, no, that's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Nobody tells me no. Don't they know who I am? Don't they know how anointed I am? Praise God. Hallelujah. You ain't got no anointing until you can submit to God and the authority of God. Hallelujah. This preacher ain't changing for nobody. Amen. God called me. God speaks to me too. And He says, hey, you are the leader here. You're the supervisor. You give the word the way I've called you to do it. And don't worry about what some guy does in, in East Troy and how he preaches. Or some guy in Milwaukee, how he preaches. You need to get fed right here by the leader God's picked for you. And when he calls this leader out of here, you'll get a new one. And God will send them in. Amen. I ain't puffing up the ministry. I'm just telling you the way it is. Praise God. Amen. Aren't you glad for the will of God? Aren't you glad that God actually is powerful? Aren't you glad that God wants you to succeed? And we succeed by submitting. Amen. And if you have a problem with the word submission, then you're going to have a problem with the word leadership because they go hand in hand. Amen. I would that all men would lift up holy hands. Come on, you men, right now. Let's lift it up. Say, I agree, Lord. I have a problem with submission. Most men do. And strong-headed women do too. Praise God. 
hey, I'm just telling it the way it really is today. I'm, forget it. I'm taking off, I'm taking off the, uh, the mask. Now here's the main thing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't think that the devil's not coming to your doorstep to give you a hard time. He's coming. Amen. And he won't come in the form of your pastor, trust me. That's wishful thinking. Hallelujah. You know, they spoke against Moses left and right. They did not enter into the promised land. When Moses was wrong, God still supported him. Amen? Because, yeah, the leader is fallible. There's no infallible leader around here. But he's still the leader. Hallelujah. That's God's model. Amen. Authorities from God. What? You didn't know the song goes? Faith without works is dead. Praise God. People don't resist the devil. You see, you're going to get a hard time from the enemy. And what God wants us to do is to resist the devil. You can't just give in. You don't think the devil's working on us 24-7? He has to be resisted. He will not flee unless he's resisted. How do we resist the devil, Pastor? Well, it's real interesting because the Bible says that God tempts no man. And I use the word tempt. God tests man. He tests our attitude towards His principles. And when the test comes and we fail, we get on our knees and repent and we get right back up again and say, I'm going to try harder the second time. Listen, the only people that lose in the church are those that quit. It's those that finish the race. And it's going to be seen in the end time who's going to finish. That's what God's looking for. Closers. Amen. He knows we're going to have a pile of problems and a mess on the way. But where are we when the, end, when the bell sounds? Are we, stay, are we getting up one more time? Can you shout hallelujah? hallelujah? Praise God. Can you shout anything? Anything. Praise God. There you go. Hallelujah. People don't resist the devil. He needs to be resisted or he won't flee. How do you suggest I resist the devil, Pastor? Well, I'll tell you. One way to resist him is that when the devil says to you, hang out with people with bad attitudes, don't do it. Don't do it. Because if you sleep with dogs, you're going to get fleas. You're going to get fleeced, all right. So you got to hang out with people who got the right attitude. Amen. And don't be, don't, hey, take, take a check. Take a check. This is important for your salvation. And I'm going to show you scripturally here. And when the devil comes to you and says, don't, you know, hang out with those dudes, get them out of your life. I have seen more people backslide because they hung out with the wrong people. They would never get rid of their worldly friends because they thought, well... I need friends, and I don't want them to mock me because I'm a Christian. Get over it. Get over that. Come out of the closet, will you? Declare yourself for Jesus Christ. Get rid of those dirt balls. You've declared yourself for Jesus Christ. You repented of your sins. You're going to get baptized in His name. It's time to make a declaration. This is who I am. This is what I stand for. Let's clap our hands to God. Amen. Praise God. I'll tell you what. The Bible, you know, when somebody backslides, leave them alone. Leave them alone. Leave them alone. And I'm going to tell you why. Don't shun them. Leave them alone. Because let God deal with them. And those that have wisdom are involved in restoration. And usually the best thing about restoration is to leave them alone. I, I know many people that violate the Word of God simply because they know better than the Word of God. They do. They do. I know churches that allow their children, ministers allow their children to be in fornication and then enter into the ministry. That ain't the Word of God, my friend. It's not. We begin thinking that psychology is higher than the spiritual principles of God. You know, the, the psychologists tell us they don't want us to create, as Christians, cognitive dissonance, my friend Neil says. That simply means your conscience is telling you you're a sinner. 
That creates problems. Hallelujah! Don't ever buy that psychological junk. They need to think that they got some problems. That conscience needs to glow like a red-hot iron and say, something's going on in your life. You need to repent of your sins. That's the only way they'll be saved. We can't appeal to the intellect. It does no good. You can't argue them about creation was in six days or there was enough room on the ark for the animals. Forget that argument. Talk about sin. Talk about the way we're living in this country. Talk about that and the conscience will start beating like a big, like a big inflatable basketball going, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. And I'll tell you, it'll work on the atheist. It'll work on an agnostic. It'll work on the worst sinner. It'll work on people that are almost saved. It'll work on the saved by grace only people. Their conscience is there. God put it in. It's built in. Amen. It needs to be cleansed. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Amen. Listen, I want to tell you a story about elk. We live in Elkhorn, right? Christmas card town. Better, you know, I'd rather call it agnostic town because when we had our parade, you know, when we did a parade, we entered a float. We did a manger. Out of 127 floats, we were the only manger scene going through that parade. It was a Christmas parade. They had Humpty Dumpty go through. They had Mickey Mouse. You know, they had Daffy Duck. They had Santa Claus. He was there. There was a, Everybody was there but Jesus. And then here comes this poor little church walking through with not a very nice looking float because we didn't have a lot of money. But it's a manger scene. And it said to that community, you've lost it. You've missed it. And since then, we've seen the number of manger scenes grow every year. In World War I, they all wanted to be on God's side. Listen, God wasn't involved in that war to begin with. God's side was way somewhere else. Neither one of those sides were on God's side. You know where God's side is? The righteous side. The holy side. Doing things His way. You want to be on God's side? Submit to authority. You want to be on God's side? Live in holiness. You want to be on God's side? Separate yourself from the world. Amen. Do you agree? Anyway, Indians, when they would hunt elk what they would do is they would, they would make a lot of noise on three sides of them, okay? And they then would get them near a river where they were feeding, okay? And I, I guess in this case, and there was a lot of elk in this area, you know, 100, 200 years ago. The Indians would come and they would make a sound, you know, hitting the pans and whatever, the drums. And, but on one side, they would not make noise. Now an elk, as soon as they heard that noise, they would get afraid. And what they wanted to do was to run away from the sound, right, and escape. But as soon as they escaped, they'd end up in the water. And the Indians would be in canoes where they could easily shoot the elk with bow and arrow or club them or spear them. You see, the problem is for the elk is that they wouldn't face the music. They wouldn't face the persecution. They wouldn't face the noise because that's all it is with God. You see, when Israel was going into the promised land, and when they were out there, God had done the most incredible miracles that we have ever seen. He parts the Red Sea. Amen? He makes manna come down from heaven. He uh, smites the, the Egyptians, and the word smite means he hits them with their fist. He knocks them out, and he, and he, he takes pleasure in it. That's what I find interesting about God. This mamby-pamby God that people have. You know, they want their pastor to be some feminine, oh, I'm so holy, oh, I'm a nice person. I think God's Spirit is full of zeal. I think we serve a jealous God. He's a God of power and might. But He is a God of compassion and love too. And so, if the elk would just face the music and not run, and not run, you see, when Jesus went through his trial in the Garden of Gethsemane, because that's where his trial was, he said, not my will, 
but yours be done. He prayed. In fact, he prayed probably the greatest prayers of his life, maybe even greater prayers than his 40 days of fasting. He was in that garden and he was weeping. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows. you know what that means? He was depressed. Have you ever been depressed before? Oh man, I've been there. And maybe you won't admit it. But I've been down. Jesus was down. This is the worst thing in his life. He knows. How would you like to be him? Knowing what's going to happen next. Knowing the Scriptures. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows the Scriptures. He knows Judas is going to come up and betray him with a kiss. In fact, if you go to the Psalms, Judas is identified in Psalm 55. Coming up and betraying Jesus. You know, if, if Jesus could have only been, been wounded by his enemies, but he was wounded by his friends. That's hard to take. And he knew this was coming. And so you know what he does? He watches. Which simply means to pray. The word watch and pray should be used interchangeably. And what does God command us to do? Pray that you enter not into temptation. Because your enemy, the devil, runs around seeking whom he can devour. And when he sees a spiritual weakness in us, he decides, Hey God, this guy's got this weakness. You know what God does? He says, let me think about it. Like Job, God says, okay, let's get this prepared because I've been talking to them about it through the Word and through the preaching, but they never got it and humbled themselves and broke themselves at the rock. So what God will do because of His compassion, He'll break you. He'll break us so that we can get it right. And we don't like those trials like the elk. We hear the noise of it. We want to go the other way. Instead of facing it and letting God take us through it. You see, when they were going to the promised land, the Bible says that they spied out the land. It was full of milk and honey. It was fruitful. And they had a couple guys with the right attitude. We are well able, Caleb said, to take it. But the rest of them said, we can't do it. The people there are too strong for us. But Caleb and Joshua were of another spirit. They had the right attitude. The attitude was, what I can do, I shall do. And what I am lacking, God will make up for me. Because I have seen his miracles at the Red Sea. I have seen those Egyptians have a wall of fire around them. I've watched them go under and their chariot wheels break off in the middle of the ocean. They knew this. They didn't forget this. But people always want to rely upon the arm of the flesh. And when we rely upon ourselves and only ourselves is when we are in deep trouble. Amen. Praise God. I'm talking about tests. I'm talking about resistance training here today. We must face our trials. We cannot, we cannot run. Why does God give us adversity? Now, I know in the, in the world today, they want to give you diversity training. You ever been there? HR people, they take you down to their office and make you watch movies. You all been there, right? Praise God. Diversity training. Hey, I'm all for that. We need to, I believe in diversity to a point. Amen. I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. If as, as Americans, if we stand for this and allow, and allow people to dictate what's right and wrong instead of what the Bible says, we're going to end up just like the Israelites did. They did not take a stand against idolatry in their country. They did not take a stand in social justice. Adversity. A man found a cocoon with a butterfly trying to get out. He saw there was a small opening in that cocoon and he sat down and he watched the butterfly struggle for several hours. And then he got a great idea. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just help that butterfly out a little bit. I'm going to make that hole bigger and let that butterfly get out. Right? I'm just going to make it easier for my children. 
I'm just going to make it easier to get saved. Right? And when that butterfly came out there, its body was all swollen and its legs were deformed. And the guy was horrified. He said, well, what happened to this, this, this butterfly? It doesn't look like it should. What I'll do is just wait for it, and, and maybe if it struggles a little bit now, maybe it'll come out without that swollen body. Its legs will get stronger. But they did not. It died shortly thereafter. You see, the struggle is important. Without a struggle, we can never grow. If there's no resistance, there's no strength. Without no pain, there is no gain. I'm going to show you something interesting in Scripture for those of you who don't understand why God does not heal. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure. And of course we know that the word measure is metrom. It means your calling, your ministry. I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, meaning the revealing of what God's purpose is. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And then it says something strange. The messenger of Satan. And of course, when it says the messenger of Satan, what it really means, the word messenger is angelos, and the word Satan is adversary. There was an angel of adversity sent to Paul. Do you see that? Why? To buffet me, there's that word for fist, strike with a fist, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul was sent an opponent. He was sent an opponent because if he started to get exalted above his calling for what he was supposed to do. He was bigger than who he was. Amen? When he started to get high and mighty and nobody tells him what to do, he was given an adversary to knock him down off his high horse to keep him strong. Isn't that interesting what God does? Those, of, those preachers that preach a good time Jesus all the time, I'm for good time Jesus. When you receive the Holy Ghost, it's a good time. It's good when the divine spark is in your life all the time. Yesterday at the, uh, at the uh, commencement ceremony for my son, I could tell that God was with us. Things were happening, okay? I could tell. You know, there were things that were happening. I was like, God's here. He's in this commencement. They walk around with you. Those angels walk around with you. But once in a while, you can't get a parking spot right next to the door. Once in a while, you don't have enough money to pay your bills. Once in a while... You do get an in-your-face from your authority. You get an adversary. You get a thorn. Oh, I'm running now like an elk. I'm getting out of here. I don't like this. Praise God. When you get an adversary, you are not going to complain your way out of it because God's trying to change something in us. You are not going to moan and groan until God relents. You don't know him. The Bible says his forehead is like an anvil. In other words, when God sets his course for your life, when he's got his will set for your life, he's not changing his mind. And sometimes what we don't like is being on the potter's will. When God puts that stick into us, God's trying to change us. Oh, God. My Christianity is complete. I'm already perfect, God. Leave me alone. I'll suffer right along with Christ and Paul. I've been shipwrecked, he said, three times. Four times I was beaten with rods. And our church, for some unexplained reason, had a one-time only experience and we donated a lot of money to Christmas for Christ. And they were shocked. So they 
called me up and said, we're shocked you gave that much money. I said, so am I. I said, don't expect it ever again. I said, it's a fluke. <laughs> I said, we hardly got two nickels to rub together here. Amen. So he writes me a letter. He says, out of the Wisconsin district, you guys came in third in giving. Looks good for one time, doesn't it? But you know what? God would rather have us be consistent. He'd rather have your walk be consistent than just one time I gave my life to Jesus. One time I gave a big offering. He'd rather have you tithe consistently and give out of a cheerful attitude consistently. And give an offering when God moves on you because He always plans when He moves on you to give it right back to you in some way, shape, or form. Amen? So He sends me this letter. He says, if you have any ideas on how to evangelize North America, please send me a letter. Oh, boy. I thought, well, you know, he wouldn't read it anyway. He's a busy guy. First thing I thought. Then I thought, you know what? Probably everybody else is thinking the same thing. So I'm actually going to write a letter. So in the letter I said, and what I did was I used every font in Microsoft Word, and I used every color because I, I had a color printer. And so I made it look like one of those web ads that's got yellow and bolding and red and blinking blue. And I thought, this is going to get his attention. <laughs> I did. This is a true story. Dear Brother Kuhn, you're the best and we know it. We love you. I said, now, you asked me for my ideas. Maybe you really don't want them, but here's two ideas I see in Scripture. I said, Paul in his first missionary journey, he had three missionary journeys, right? He did the little loop and he wants to go up to Asia because he knows there's souls up there. Something's telling him there's souls up there. And an angel warns him, don't go to Asia. Okay, I'll do what you say. Number two, second missionary journey. When he goes to the second missionary journey, he has two great revivals. One in Corinth and one in Ephesus. The revival in Corinth is where it was among the Baptists. He says, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? They said, no. He rebaptized them in the name of Jesus. He didn't get in an argument with them saying, you're wrong and I'm right. He just said, hey, you're supposed to be baptized in Jesus' name. Here's the scripture. They wanted to argue about the Trinity. He didn't, you know, there was no Trinity back then. They invented it in the third century. So he didn't argue with them about that. He says, come on, get in the tank. The Bible says in Acts 19.5 that they, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I said, the Ephesus plan would be a good one. So I showed them what Paul did. And you know what happened to Paul at Ephesus? He got the tar beat out of him. Because you know what he did? He converted so many, they got mad, just like they did at Tarnu. They beat, the Lutherans beat Tarnu over in, over in Liberia because he converted so many of them. And by the way, I just heard that he had 12 more get the Holy Ghost in one of his meetings. Then what happened? Paul went to Corinth. And what he did is he went to the synagogue and he split the synagogue. So I said, Brother Kuhn, this is what I think we should do. I think we should get three young people who don't want to get married who would go to Trinity Divinity down here in Deerfield, Illinois, the number one evangelical Bible college in the U.S. of A. Did you know that? I said, it should only take about three of them, and they should probably win half the school. I said, so if you want to change North America, let's do that. I said, and number two, what we could do is on, we could all have, all of our churches have services on Thursday night so that our people can go to Catholic churches on Wednesday night and get in their Bible studies and break them out. Right, Jessica? Hallelujah. I said, I said, however, I warn you that if you do this plan, that there will be a cost. And I gave him the scripture where Paul says, I was shipwrecked three times, beat with the rods four times. But if you really want to win North America, 
We've got to get to the people that are almost saved. Because they're almost there. All they need is baptism in Jesus' name. A lot of them repent and love God. But see, God defines love as beyond the emotional tie to Him into the realm of obedience, which is faith. You read your bulletin today, which is late. It's back there. Go get one. It'll talk about the Anabaptists who went beyond the Lutheran definition of, I have faith, I believe. That's not enough. You must obey. There has to be an action behind what you believe. Or God will not account it to you for righteousness. That's too easy. Thorn in the flesh. He was given that thorn in the flesh. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8. Nine, I'm sorry. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power, and that means the dunamis of Christ, may rest or tent or dwell upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What he's saying is, I take pleasure in weakness. I take pleasure in insults. I take pleasure in constraints, not having enough resources. And I take pleasure in persecutions and calamities. Now that is not going to fly at Lakewood Church. And he, Paul would not be welcome preaching at Lakewood Church. But he is welcome here. Because it's the Word of God. And God's strength and His purpose in these things is to help us buff up, to get stronger, to lift some Holy Ghost weights, to change our character, to change the way we live, to become like Jesus Christ. And so don't be like an elk from Elkhorn. And when you see, hear the noise, don't run from it. Run to it. And let God change you. Amen. What adversity do you got going on in your life right now? When the Bible says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. You know what it's saying? Shema. Shema. Listen. 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 What's going on? Put your ears on. God's talking. Nothing happens to you without His permission. And if it happens to you, He's talking. He's always talking. Are we listening to Him? I ain't talking about signs. Get on your knees. Hear the still, small voice of God. Confirm it with your pastor to get your second or third witness. Your confirmation. Listen. God wants us to succeed. He wants us to resist the devil. He wants to train us. No pain, no gain. You get it? Don't be, don't be upset when you get some adversity. This is adversity training. That's what this is. God wants us to grow in the Spirit. He wants us to be powerful. He wants us to be able to resist the devil. And then he'll flee. But if you don't resist the devil, he ain't going to flee. You've got to give him some trouble back. Amen? Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Lord God, I thank you for that trial in my life. I thank you for adversity. And I'm going to overcome it with the good fight of faith. Now I've got one more thing I'm going to tell you. I feel prompted to tell you. We need to stop talking like Egyptians. We need to stop talking like Egyptians. God, I want to pick my own battles. I want to pick my own calling. I want to pick my own promises. 
I don't want to fight your battles, God. I don't want to fight the way God wants me to fight. I want to fight like an Egyptian. Stan Makita, the great NFL or, or NHL hockey player, used to get into a lot of fights until one day his eight-year-old boy said to him, Daddy, when you're fighting, you don't score too many goals. Listen, your brothers in the church are not your enemy. And if you're bad-mouthing them, you're fighting the wrong enemy. Your enemy is not your neighbor outside. It's not Bill Clinton or Obama. It's not, it's not Ronald Reagan. It's not John McCain. That's not your enemy. Our biggest enemy is our flesh. Biggest enemy. Then the devil. And then the real enemy is the temptation of the world. Wanting to do things the world's way. When you take out your fist and hit somebody, you're not doing it God's way. Listen, we need to fight it, the enemy and the world God's way. Absalom, Absalom.